We can't always be right. Sometimes we get it wrong. And I whiffed on Tulane. Last week I said the Green Wave, if they started backup quarterback Jonathan Brantley, would be a worse team than UTEP. That statement was wrong. Tulane started backup quarterback Jonathan Brantley and looked downright formidable on its first two drives of the game. Two possessions, two touchdowns against the Sooners on Owen Field. Last week, I told you the Green Wave was not really a triple option team. They just have triple option tendencies. That statement was wrong. Tulane ran a ton of option and had OU's defense confused and playing on its heels. Early on in the second quarter, the Green Wave had already accumulated more yards than UTEP gained in the span of four quarters. At one point, Tulane actually led OU 14-7. It bears repeating. Last week, I said Tulane would be worse than UTEP. I was wrong. Also last week, I said we would not see Baker Mayfield after halftime. It would be a repeat of what we saw in week one against UTEP. Baker Mayfield played into the fourth quarter. I was wrong. We can't always be right. Sometimes we get it wrong. And when we get it wrong here on West of Everest, we acknowledge our mistakes. It's important to me and Grant that we are held accountable. We take pride in providing in-depth analysis of what the film says and what we see. I think we're pretty good at that. Tulane notwithstanding. So yes, I was wrong about Tulane, but I did get one thing right. And to be honest, this is the most important thing. Last week, I said OU would score 56 points and cover the spread. We can't always be right, but I freaking nailed that one. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. And that one is picked right to Parnell Motley, and now it's a foot race. The only one back there is Brantley, the quarterback, and now he's got a blocker, and it's going to be a pick six for Parnell Motley. Murray taking a deep shot, and he got it. Lands in the hands of Marquise Brown. And how about that going up top on the play right here? It's a big toss by Kyler Murray, and an even a bigger job by Marquise Brown running into it. A pair of Sooners score their first career touchdowns in the Crimson and Cream Saturday night. Parnell Motley on the pick six, then Marquise Brown on the long bomb from Kyler Murray. OU dominates the second half en route to a 56-14 win over Tulane. Hi everyone, welcome into another edition of West of Everest. Grant will join me in a moment to provide countless thoughts and reaction to that OU Tulane game. But first, I want to remind you that West of Everest is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you so much for listening to the show, however you, however you may be accessing, accessing? accessing the, the uh, podcast. If you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. That lets us know that you're enjoying the show. Also, if you'd like to contact us, you can email westofeverest at gmail.com. Again, that is westofeverest at gmail.com. Or you can find Grant and I on Twitter. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25, at Grant Benson 25. So now let's welcome in Grant and talk some OU Tulane. How's it going, Grant? Hi, Lee. Hats off to you for uh, for admitting your mistakes there in the opening uh, the opening monologue. I really, really think that's that's the right thing to do because, man, you, you got it so wrong. You were so wrong. And I was right, by the way. I was right. I just want to throw it out there that I was right. I said that you or that uh, Tulane would be a better team than UTEP. I thought that was pretty clear to everyone who was who was watching on Saturday night. I mean, yeah, in that game it was clear, but honestly, watching the film, there's a reason why I had the answer that I had. And Tulane didn't look particularly great on film, and plus the competition they played before Oklahoma was so subpar, I thought Oklahoma would blow their doors off. And technically, the Sooners did blow their doors off. Look at the final score. But yes, the first part of that game, Tulane played extremely well. So I got to ask you, Grant, right off the bat, should we be concerned about how OU's defense started slow against Tulane? A little bit. I, I, I would say um, some of my concerns were eased a little bit in the second half. They came out and played really well in the second half. Um, 
but there's no denying those those first few drives that Tulane had. They, the Sooners' defense was on their heels. Um, I mean, I think there was a there was a time where where Baker Mayfield hadn't even stepped on the field in over 15 minutes of game time. Um, that's how much Tulane was controlling the tempo of that game. Um, I, I, I was I was slightly concerned in the first half that that we were seeing um, just just a poor effort, and that's actually what it was. It, 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 to begin the game, it really was just a poor effort from the defense. So my answer to the question, should we be concerned about OU's defense starting slow against Tulane is no, we should not be concerned. And here's why. Because that Tulane offense, which, again, I did not think it was going to be a whole lot of triple option, and we did see a lot of triple option type tendencies and type plays, a lot of motion, a lot of misdirection. That offense is designed to keep defenses off balance, and it really – it's designed to kind of level the playing field when a team like Oklahoma plays a team like Tulane. And so the fact that Oklahoma wasn't ready for it, or they not necessarily ready for it, I mean, yeah, they weren't ready for it. It was pretty obvious by the first two drives. And the fact that OU doesn't see it a whole lot, uh, that played in, into Tulane's hands. And really, they ran things so well, those first two drives. They ran their offense perfectly. But the fact that the second half was so superb, that's why I think there's no concern because Oklahoma was able to adjust. They started adjusting a lot in the second quarter and then at halftime as well. OU's defense looked very good in the second half. If we would have seen more problems after halftime, then I would have said that there was a concern to be had about the OU defense. Here's here's why I'm slightly concerned, Lee. Um, it, it seemed like Tulane sort of attacked that that one weakness that that you and I pointed out before the Ohio State game a little over a week ago um, was that maybe they were soft up the middle. Um, it, it seemed like over the course of the Ohio State game, Ohio State sort of went away from that trap play up the middle. Tulane did not. It looks like that. It, it kind of looked like in the first half that's where they were making all of their hay, um, and they they kept going back to it. They they. They didn't stop doing that um, until the Sooners actually stopped it. It seemed like after that Parnell Motley interception, that's kind of when the floodgates opened for the the two lane offense or the Oklahoma defense rather. Um, but like I said, just up the middle, uh, the, those two defensive tackles kept getting washed out of every play. The true freshman Kenneth Murray really struggled. Um, I, you could you could visibly see him being confused with gaps and whatnot. Um, and and I, I I'm sure it, a lot of it was just not being. Uh, being used to to defending that triple option, uh, but it it still was a little concerning to see the, uh, the the front four being pushed around those first few drives, Lee. So here's uh, here's what we're gonna do here for the for the next bit. We're gonna break down the defense first, since we're talking about the defense, and then we'll break down how the Oklahoma offense played. And I took some notes on the first two drives of the game, and I watched those two drives more closely than really any other drives because of how well Tulane moved the football. And so I thought it was interesting. The very first play of the game, Oklahoma did a fantastic job of doing their their jobs. And Kenneth Murray, you mentioned him a moment ago. And, and yeah, of course, he he, uh, at first played not so well, but then as the game went on, he played a lot better. A lot of players were like that. And Mike Stoops, Lincoln Riley acknowledged that after the game. So here's what happened on that first play, just to, to kind of boil it all down to, to one play, which I thought was fascinating. Kenneth Murray, he came up, read the run, fit in the A-gap. That's what he was supposed to do. Emmanuel Beal took the up-back blocker. Khalil Houghton came up from a safety position to take on the pitch man. But the one person who did not do their job was Oboe. He crashed in on the running back, bit on that inside handoff. His man is the quarterback. The quarterback pulled it. Oboe crashed in. There was a lane on the outside. He picked up eight yards. And, of course, Oboe actually came back around to make the tackle. So from that point on, it was like you have to do your job. And and any defensive coordinator will tell you when you're defending the option, it's all about knowing who your man is and doing your job. And Oklahoma, man, in those first two drives, they just did not do their jobs. Second play of the game was defended well. Parnell Motley came up from the corner position, missed a tackle in the backfield. Oboe got sucked in again. Doesn't keep contain. Running back had a big gain around the right side, hit the outside. I think it was about a 40-yard gain. Uh, later on in the drive, Caleb Kelly, he doesn't hold the edge. The running back runs to the vacated spot. Kenneth Murray also over-pursued on the play. Running back picks up 10 yards. I mean, these are just simple plays where Oklahoma's defenders just did not do their jobs. And it got to the point where... You could tell that the linebackers, for the most part, were kind of just guessing on a lot of the plays. 
All things considered, though, on that first drive, Grant, the D held their ground in the red zone, but there was that awful pass interference call against Stephen Parker where he made a fantastic defensive play in the end zone, did not commit pass interference at all, but... Tulane was bailed out by the referee, so really that first drive should have been held to at least a field goal. Glad you brought that up, Lee. I actually forgot about that play. Um, I remember coming back, uh, coming away from that play just wondering what they saw um, because they had lots of angles um, on TV with that play, and all, all I saw was just a great defensive play by Stephen Parker. Um, so I, I appreciate you bringing that up. I completely forgot about that, uh, extending their first drive. Um and it was the next play where Tulane was able to punch it in for a touchdown. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so I, I, I just want to bring it up again. I, I'm not, I, I'm not panicking or anything like that. But so, so I'm, I'm not going to buy into stock of you know anybody who's saying, you know, they got, they kind of got run over by Tulane the first few drives. Everybody panicked. This defense is no good. I, I no, uh, Tulane practices too. You know, it, it, it's a difficult offense to defend. They're going to make some plays. Um, th- how how the Sooners regrouped and, and physically dominated in the second half, I thought was very encouraging, um, and, and not just you know not just the ones that you know uh, they dipped into their depth chart a little bit there at the end, and you saw you know h- how much skill uh, and, and depth they have all throughout the depth chart. Something that they ha- that I feel like they haven't had you know in the last handful of years. Um, I one shout out I want to throw out there um, just off the top of my head while I'm rambling is I, I thought Mark Jackson looked really good and is is very very limited amount of time he was out there um, along with Addison Gums and, and a lot of young guys who I thought just were were really impressive. And I was in the interview room after the game and Mike Stoops brought up uh, he was asked about how nice it is to have all these younger players these backups if you will getting t- chances to play and he said it, it, you can't. I mean, you, you can't beat experience and two out of the three games so far this year, he's been able to get a lot of backups in to get real live game experience. And some of those players are the players you just mentioned. And also one that that you didn't mention that had a really nice game was Kenneth Mann. He had five tackles, also had a sack. And he's a guy that we haven't really talked about at all up until this two lane game. So experience is priceless. You can't get experience in practice. And it was nice to hear Mike Stoops acknowledge that. And, and he it, it's cool as as observer observers of OU football like we are, it's cool that OU's been able to get so many players that are deep in their depth chart on defense and on offense a lot of playing time in the first few games. Here's something that I want to point out that is incredibly encouraging. Maybe it's something that we haven't seen a whole lot um, in the past handful of years, especially since Mike Soups has come back as the defensive coordinator. And I don't know if this is on him or if this is more of a personnel issue, but um, it, it was really nice to see, and now really you can say this for the second straight week, is that it was really nice to see an OU team come out and play better in the second half. Um, the, it was very clear that they had made adjustments on defense um, and that they, they were understanding what they were defending a lot more in the second half. That was really encouraging to see. I, I feel like in the past years we've seen um, instances where you know they get shredded in the first half, they come out, and it seems like they just keep they, – they they just keep making the same mistakes, and that clearly was not the case this time around. That was very refreshing to see. You could make the argument that each and every single game so far, and yes, there's only been three, but every single game Oklahoma has played better in the second half on defense and then also on offense. Sure, and I also I want to I want to say that it's the second half defensive performance. It wasn't even really a case of them. Oh, they just bowed their neck a little bit and were and were just playing a little better. I mean, they they stopped Tulane cold in the second half. Tulane did at zero in the second half and they were they were struggling to pick up yards um so it, it was really nice to see them assert their dominance uh, physically um neville gallimore was was utterly dominant in the second half pretty much the entire front seven was um and that was good to see and plus just just another hats off to parnell motley he he seems to be the guy who is who's going to be the big play guy for the defense this year yeah, Motley, I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that he missed a tackle behind the line of scrimmage very early in the game. Well, he certainly made up for it, had a nice pass breakup, followed up by an incredible pick six, even had a tackle for loss at one point. He's a player that every single game is getting better and better, and he's showing that everything we heard about him leading up to this in fall camp and even back in the, during spring ball it's not a fluke. I mean, it wasn't just all hearsay. I mean, this guy really is as good as advertised, and it's really cool to see another defensive back, another cornerback specifically, play as well as Parnell Motley has. Exactly, and, and I don't, I, I don't want to get too uh, hyperbolic about Parnell Motley. You know, we. I mean, it was just too late this past week. Just, but he just played really lane. well against Ohio State. Played really well against Ohio State as well. Um, 
you know, Parnell Motley has has, has been really impressive. I, I think you're, you're you're seeing the you know one of the next great defensive players for OU. He's been he's been really impressive. Just just his 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 poise and his uh, his confidence over there. He's just he, he he knows what he's doing over there and I think that's something that the Sooners have really been missing for the last few years. Uh, two very viable good cornerbacks OU has and that's that that's invaluable in the Big 12. It's a big deal. Kenneth Murray, he had eight tackles, recovered a fumble. Murray also had a tackle for loss. One of the players that Started off slow against Tulane, but then came on late in the game and, and played pretty well. Cool thing I heard from Kenneth Murray this past week before the Tulane game. He said he gets up at like 6.30 a.m. and he can't get enough of watching film. Like he'll bother Oboe, and Oboe kind of get annoyed sometimes, but he, he likes it obviously because he likes to see the young true freshman wanting to get his, his nose in the playbook and watch a lot of film. And as an Oklahoma supporter, Oklahoma football fan, if you will, there's nothing better than to hear that your true freshman middle linebacker just can't get enough of watching as much game film as possible or not even probably not necessarily game film, maybe even practice film too. And that's always an encouraging sign whenever a young guy like that wants to get, get as much film in as possible. And I'm, I'm sure he gets in the playbook a lot as well. That's huge. Uh, especially with Kenny Mur- or uh, Kenneth Murray, just look at the guy, you know, you know, the physicality of the sport uh, is not going to be an issue for him. He's already bigger um, than, than pretty much everyone at his position. He's, he, he's physically ready for that role as a true freshman. And, you know, a lot of the times, especially with the middle linebacker, they're the quarterback, the defense, they get the, they get the calls in, you know, Kenneth Murray has, he's got to be ready mentally and to see that he puts the work in, uh, you know, like that over the course of the week is really encouraging, especially for a true freshman. Cause I feel like, you know, watching film like that, that's something that you have to teach yourself, especially when you make the leap from high school to college, um, you know, being able to discern, um, and being able to, uh, to figure out what you're looking at. Uh, it's, it's, it's really encouraging. I think with Kenneth, Kenneth Murray, we, we might have a future star in our hands with him. Emmanuel Bill still looking solid at the other linebacker position, playing well, Khalil Houghton coming in, taking, the starters will because Robert Barnes, Will Johnson, both out. So Houghton comes in, picks up eight tackles, played relatively well, I thought, especially considering that he hadn't started yet this season. And speaking of Barnes and Will Johnson, Mike Stoop said after the game that he's not sure if they're going to be ready to play against Baylor on Saturday. So it was encouraging to see Khalil Houghton come in and play pretty well. And also going into conference play, if he's forced to start against Baylor it's nice to know that he's got one start under his belt so far this year if he's a, if he ha- is forced in to start against the Bears absolutely and you know fr- from what I've heard about Robert Barnes that sounds like a hamstring issue uh, everyone knows those can linger so you never really know if he's going to be ready for next week um, with Will Johnson we expect it to be a concussion so you know with those you just never know that could be a long-term deal um, so so it is good to know that um, and Khalil Houghton actually not playing his position he he's actually the backup to Stephen Parker but he he flipped over um, uh, it started opposite Stephen Parker, so so hats off to Clay Lott, and he 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 looked good. I, I don't think he flashed or anything like that, but but he was definitely dependable and he was solid. Um, and that's you know in the Big Twelve, if you have that many defensive backs that you can throw out there and be confident that they're they're not going to screw up too much, that's that that's a very rare uh, quality to have in the Big Twelve. So just to put a cap on the defense. OU allowed 224 yards in the first half. 157 of those yards was in the first quarter. Second half, 67 total yards and only eight yards allowed in the third quarter. So like you said earlier, Grant, yeah, Oklahoma's defense really did dominate. And Mike Stoops did first thing he said when he got up up to the podium after the game was, hey, well, tale of two halves, huh? And then we went on with the press conference. So it was pretty obvious, but it was – It was nice, again, to see Oklahoma's defense play the way they did after halftime. Ready to talk some offense? Always. So the offense starts with Baker Mayfield, so we'll start with the quarterback. And after the game, the first thing he said at the podium was that he missed some throws. They were there. He just missed them. And Mayfield said in himself that he had an off night. And it's worth pointing out that an off night for Baker Mayfield, not too bad to be 17 of 27 for 331 yards and four touchdowns on an off night. So there's that. Yeah, Lee, I, I, I do find it funny. You know, you mentioned those numbers. Those are great numbers. Um, anybody, you know, normal quarterback would kill to have those numbers. Having that been said, I, I don't, Lee, I don't think Baker played particularly well last night. Um, and that's, you know, that's what he said. I, I thought he was off with some throws. Um, I, I'm starting to notice, um, a, a bit of a trend now, um, 
going back to uh, to the first game of the season, I believe, um, with him under-throwing wide-open receivers who have gotten past the defense. Wow, yeah, that's um, three games in a row. I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't thought of it until you just brought that up. Yeah, and that's that's something that 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 I slightly because because now it's a now it's a trend. Um, it's and so um, I, that's something that I would really like to see him improve on, especially because the deep ball was 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 something that was that was so prevalent and so so critical for OU last season, and he was really good at throwing it. Uh, so it's it, it's kind of surprising to see that he just hasn't he just hasn't put the you know the arm behind any of those throws. It seems like it seems like he's just kind of throw, tossing it up there, uh, you know, just just lobbing it up there. Uh, doesn't seem to be judging those throws correctly, and I'm really curious as to what what the deal is with that, whether or not it's just you know him not having timing with his new receiver or what it is, but it's, it's slightly concerning. Uh, other than that though, I, you know, if, if Baker Mayfield's not going to play very well and if he's going to, you know, go 17 of 27 for three thirty-one and four touchdowns with no picks, um, I, I'll, I'm okay with that, I suppose. And the arm strength thing doesn't help us because you and I are, are two, uh, two of the main, uh, I guess, let's see. Proponents. How do I how do I put this? Components. Uh, I don't know if that's the right word. I mean, we like to argue that Baker Mayfield's arm is a lot better than people think it is. It's really good. I think it's it's really good. It's it's. But when you see him yeah. under throw these passes, it starts to make you think a little bit. But like, no, what's going I on? I don't think it has anything to do with arm strength. I mean, you can tell he's 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 under throwing these by a lot. You can tell he's just he's just lofting it up there. Um, you, you you can tell he's not putting a whole lot of force into these throws. Um. So what it is, so he's just I'm not, not sure. judging it. You don't, you don't think he's just judging the, I, the distance correctly. I think that's that's probably what it is. And you know, he had he did have one throw. Uh, you know, their first touchdown to CD Lamb, where it was a, a fairly long throw that he it was a perfect throw. He hit him right in stride. Um, but of course, Lamb was was wide open. So he could not have been more wide open. He was as my a, goodness, about as open as you possibly can <laughs> get on a football field. Um, you know, I I. I if we see it continue the next couple games, and it's probably something that um, that you can concern yourself with. Um, but for now, I'm kind of in a wait and see mode. But let's just say, for now, I, I'm certainly looking for it now. Um, if it if it keeps happening, okay. if it happens, sense. If, if it happens in Waco, then then that's probably a sign towards towards a larger problem. And and I don't I don't necessarily mean or think that would mean that it's a it's a physical problem. I would say it's probably more mental and just not being on the same page as wide receivers. And so far, none of these underthrows have came back to bite Mayfield. Some of them actually have been positives with pass interference penalties and, and whatnot. So that's certainly interesting. Uh, next next uh, part of offense that we're going to talk about is the running backs. And it was a pleasant surprise last Saturday against Ohio State that Trey Sermon played so much and played so well against the Buckeyes. Well, Sermon got the start against Tulane. But really, it ended up being Abdul Adams and Marcellia Sutton getting the majority of looks. And Grant, I wanted to point this out as far as Trey Sermon goes. Very first play of the game, he gets the start. And the running game did not look very good at all early on in the game. And, and the very first play of the game was a run play to Trey Sermon. It was blocked very well. Oklahoma had a hat on a hat. They had their guard, Bobby Evans, the right guard, pulling around. Sermon got the carry. And instead of being patient and having some vision and waiting for Evans to get around to block the safety coming in, he just went too fast and, and overran it and got tackled for like no gain. Whereas if he had a little more patience, he could have waited for the block to hit and could have had tons of yards. And that's just it, it was clear to me as the game went on that Abdul Adams and Marcellia Sutton were so much better at running behind the offensive line. Their vision was just night and day different than Trey Sermon's, at least in this game. And, and yeah, I, I don't, we, we can't take away anything what, you know, what Trey Sermon did last week against Ohio state because he was, he was spectacular. You know, we said he was the perfect back for that moment. Um, whereas I, I, I thought in this game, Abdul Adams proved that he's, he's the best back on this team. I, I think it's obvious. Um, I, I, I still thought that after the Ohio state game, but he, he just looks so much more explosive than last season. And he, he can run, he really can. Um, his, his vision is good. You know, he, he's very quick with his cuts. Um, he, he, he's a guy who I think is, is going to be a really good player for OU. And, and I wouldn't be surprised, uh, you know, going further into the season that we see him get, you know, more of the lion's share of carries as long as he's not turning the ball over. Um, but you know, on, on, on the other end though, I mean, you have, uh, they've again you, you saw four backs who were very capable of of doing a lot and, and until then you know and until abdul adams maybe has you know one monster game you really probably are looking at just a 
you know, a cut and dry, really classic, just running back by committee because they got four guys who are really capable. Rodney Anderson getting the short end of the stick against Tulane. It was, uh, you know, Anderson made made some plays, got got some PT against Ohio State, and Marcellus Sutton didn't see the field. And against Tulane, it was Anderson only getting four carries, got eight yards. Um, but it's not like Adam Sutton and Serban got like fifteen each. I mean, it was all pretty even. It's amazing how how well they how well they split these carries up because you had Abdul Adams with eight, Sutton had six, Sermon had seven. They had Anderson with four. I mean, it's it's nice. It's got to be nice as a player to know. You know, obviously, all those guys want to be the guy. They want to have 15, 20 touches or more per game. But even if you're not going to be that, if you're not going to be that, it's nice to know going into, into the game. Unless you're Marcelli Sutton against Ohio State, you're probably going to touch the ball at least, I don't know, five times. I mean, at least you're going to be able to get into the game and, and get a feel for it. That's got to that's gotta feel pretty good. And and just I want to reiterate that all of these guys are really quality, and they, they all have – have uh, you know certain qualities that that differentiate them from the others, and and I think they have they have a really good situation in the backfield. Of it, of course, it's not going to be as formidable as last year when you have two NFL backs in the backfield, but they have they have four really quality um, and really good college players at their disposal at running back. And you know, in an offense like this, especially one that's been architect or that Lincoln Riley's the architect of, I, that's I I really don't think you can ask for more. Uh, the, these guys are, are perfect for what Lincoln Riley wants to do, and they've been they've been great so far. I think I, I think the backfield up to this point they they've solidified themselves as a real strength of the team. Last week when we were talking about what we wanted to see in this game, one of the things that I wanted to see was Mark Andrews not playing because I wasn't convinced that his knee injury was not as serious as they were saying. Well, I may have been wrong because Andrews did play. He had four catches at seventy six yards, but. It, it appeared, and 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 I, it appeared that maybe he had reaggravated his knee injury in the first half. I saw him; I was on the field shooting the game, and as, as he was walking to the locker room off the field, he looked like he had a bit of a limp, and he had he was kind of grimacing a little bit uh, on his face. But he did come back, and he did play in the second half. And after the game, Lincoln Riley said that there was no serious injuries, just a lot of bumps and bruises. But Grant, uh, as far as Andrews goes, uh, he had he had one fantastic catch I mean a great diving grab and that was you know a play that not a whole lot of tight ends in the country can probably make but overall I mean I guess it was good to see him play and come out of there not seriously injured but at the same time in my mind I'm like you know did he really need to play in that game uh, it, especially because it, it seemed like maybe he did re-aggravate something yeah I, I'm sort of on the same boat and not not only did I, I was a little weird I, I was a little weirded out with him playing. Second of all, he, he he looked like he was a guy out there who was who was really scared of getting hurt again. He um, didn't yeah he didn't look as yeah, explosive he, as he normally he does. He just didn't look that explosive and 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 I'm assuming it's probably just a mental thing. He probably just doesn't want to get hurt because um, you know if 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 he got approved to play, I'm assuming he's probably fine. Yeah, um, that's so true. I, Maybe that's it. Maybe he's he. You know, Mark Andrews is a guy who who has who really has been hurt throughout his career here at Oklahoma, and maybe those have just started to get to him, and and it's become a mental thing for him. And you know, you know, hopefully, hopefully he comes back. He's got a good week of practice, and he can kind of you know write his mind a little bit if that's what if that's what it was. Um, and you know, at the same time, Lee, we, we we might just be putting too much into it. I mean, they did just play Tulane. Um, they 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 came out. Uh, let's let's be frank about it. They, they came out and they, they kind of slept walk through the first half. Um, didn't, they kind of showed up. They, they really did just show up. Um, and if, if they're going to, you know, if, if they're going to win the game by 42 points, I guess you can't fault them too much, but you know, may, maybe that's really what it was. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't a mental or, or a physical thing. It was just him, you know, it, it, maybe, maybe saving a little in the tank just because they were playing Tulane. Well, Lincoln Riley acknowledged that things felt a little different this past week in preparing for Tulane. Baker Mayfield did. He even said, you know, not every game's going to be Saturday night mm -hmm. on national television. So, you know, hearing them acknowledge that it was different and really they had to kind of do some extra things to get up for Tulane. I, I'm always concerned when I hear things like that because I get it. We're all human beings. Ohio State's a lot different than Tulane. But I always go by the, the mantra of, listen, guys, you only get to play – 12 games for sure in the college football season if you're lucky enough you'll play in a maybe a big 12 championship and then maybe even a bowl game that's so few saturdays where you even get a chance to play real football and not a scrimmage or practice i, I don't understand why you wouldn't be up for every single game and so excited to play and want to 
want to prepare for every single game as much as you prepare for any team. I just I don't get it. Maybe it's because I'm you know, I've never played football at that high of a level. You know, I've never played any sport at that high of a level. But you would think that when you get higher and higher and higher, then you would even want to be more prepared for every single game because you never know what's going to happen and and I'm always just kind of concerned when I hear that it was tough to get up for a certain team I mean again granted Oklahoma did come out and win by 42 points so it's not like they they squeaked out a win and and it was really bad but just hearing that always kind of makes me kind of take a take pause and think man I I just don't like hearing that I I don't fault you for for thinking that at all um I'll I'll kind of tackle it a different way I I, I'm gonna say I'm I I my, my fears are slightly alleviated by them showing the self-awareness to say, you know what? Yeah. Something was a little off this week. Uh, you know, maybe that's why we came out flat and they did come out flat. Um, I, I'm, I'm just not as concerned about it just because of, of how sharp they did look in the second half. Um, they looked like they were having a, you know, a lot of fun in the second half and, and maybe that, you know, th- that fire ignited once again in the second half. Um, so, you know, once again, if, if, if they would have come out and said, you know, Hey, we, we practiced really hard all week, you know, but we just came out flat. Maybe I would, I'd be a little more concerned, but I, I just think it's, it's human nature. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard, um, because you go through that experience last week and, you know, it's such a, it's, it's, it's such a rush and, and your body wants to feel that again. And your mind wants to feel that again. And when it doesn't happen, I, I, I can definitely, especially for competitors, I can definitely see why maybe it would be a little harder to get up. Um, so I, I'm still in wait and see mode with all this stuff until it becomes some sort of trend. Now, if, if they come out in Waco next week and they look flat and they look like they're not ready to play, then maybe it's something we need to be concerned about. But as of right now, I, I, I think that all they've done is just show, um, it just human nature. I like to see the self-awareness that they were able to admit to say, Hey, this week wasn't exactly the same. And one, I'm glad they were able to admit that. And two, I'm glad that on a week where that happened, they still won a game by seven touchdowns. So I'm pretty happy about that. You mentioned that they got up and played really well after halftime. Really before that though, a play that potentially ignited some fire was when Jeff Bidette scored a touchdown, but then it was taken off the board because CeeDee Lamb was ejected because of targeting. And CeeDee Lamb to that point had already had four catches for 131 yards and two touchdowns. So if this was fantasy football, you'd still be okay, even though he got ejected from the game in the second quarter. But it was a call that being on the field, I never got a good look at it. Every time they showed a replay, and they only showed the replay twice at Owen Field, I was doing something else, and I looked up, after the block had happened and the entire crowd the entire stadium hated the call everyone was booing so I assumed that it was a bad call I watched it back when I was re-watching the game it was one of those things where I I don't think it was a horrendous call and once the flag came out and again it happened so fast once the official threw the flag and whether or not he should have thrown the flag I don't know it could have gone either way but once the flag was out there was no way that thing was going to be overturned based on the targeting rule yeah I I I, I guess I would really like some clarification on the rule because on the broadcast they kept uh, the, on, on the broadcast they thought it was a bad call. Um, I, I thought it was a bad call too, but but I'm sort of in your camp too that once they called it, I wasn't really sure that maybe they could overturn it. Um, so I, I would like to know if uh, they kept talking about you know if, if a runner is defenseless or if if, uh, if a defender is is defenseless, and I and I would agree with that. I thought the guy that that CD Lamb blocked, I thought he was completely defenseless. Um, having, having said that, I, I don't know if, is it, are, are you not allowed to block a defenseless guy like that at all? Or is it, um, or, or is it just a neck and head area? Because if that's the case, then, um, the, the only kind of targeting rule that was broken there was the defenseless uh, receiver or not a receiver, but a defenseless defender. Other than that, I, I thought it was a textbook block. He, he didn't lead with his head. He led with his shoulder and went right into his chest, um, I, I wasn't at all surprised that it was that it was confirmed just because it, it seemed like um, it, it, it was a violent hit. It really was. And I'm not at all surprised that they threw the flag. It's 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 too bad that he was ejected just because I, I thought it was a good football play. Uh, but, you know, it, it's a really fast game. It was a violent hit. And, you know, it thankfully enough, it happened with four minutes to go in the first half. And, and he doesn't have to miss the first half of Baylor because he missed the second half. I think what it was, the main reason why the penalty flag was thrown is the way the offensive player's helmet went. And it looked enough to where it seemed like maybe Lamb had 
came into contact with that neck and helmet area because of how much his helmet and his head just jerked away. And even though you, you might be thinking, well, then why could they just see that on the replay that there wasn't a call and they just overturn it and then he stays in the game? I, it was the replay wasn't conclusive. I mean, Baker Mayfield was like in the way or like there was a player in the way of it. So like you couldn't really get a clear look at it. It was a weird thing. So I, I don't think it was as egregious as everyone says it was. Uh, granted, if this was if this happened in the Ohio State game and it was a game where Oklahoma you know really needed C.D. Lamb for all four quarters, then I certainly I would I'd probably feel differently. So I guess in a way I'm kind of contradicting myself as I as I talk this one out. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I guess if, if we just if we want to back away from that a little bit, let's just let's talk about just CD Lamb in general, um, and just how I mean the guy is. I, I I I realize that it was just against Tulane, but he's a he's a star. I mean, he he's going to be a star. He's the next great OU receiver. I think that's pretty clear at this point. Um, you know, barring any injuries, he's just he he has it. Uh, whatever that means and he he's got he's got a star quality about him and he's just he's he's oddly polished for a true freshman uh, especially one that came in and didn't even have spring ball just came in you know right for fall camp and he's already you know once he actually gets comfortable and knows what he's doing he seems like a guy who's really going to take off i i I wouldn't be surprised lee if cd lamb is 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 the number one option on this opposite on this offense by mid-season it wouldn't surprise me do you remember a couple of podcasts ago whenever it took us 50 minutes to talk about Baker Mayfield, even though he played such a fantastic game? I, my, the way, oddly enough, I mean, that, that's a compliment to Baker Mayfield, by the way, because we're just so used to him playing so well that we just kind of skip over it and then just, oh, yeah, by the way, Baker Mayfield was great. My point of bringing that up is that at, I think CeeDee Lamb is in that, in that, uh, at that level already. He is a really, really nice to great receiver, and I just expect him to look fluid and catch passes out there and look really good. And so, it's it's almost like you don't bring him up; it's because you just you expect him to play so well. And it's just and and that's I think that's one of the biggest compliments you can give a, a player of any sport is that you don't talk about him much because you just assume they're going to be really good. Yeah, and I I think at the very worst we have a situation here where where a guy like CD Lamb is like I said at the very worst he's having you know he he's going to be at the quality of of say you know Malcolm Kelly or Kenny Stills was their their freshman seasons which were really quality seasons he's he's already you know statistically he's already passed them this far into the season and he's you know he, he he's on the field you know majority of the time uh, this this time around you know two touchdowns in this past game. Um, of, of course, he was wide open on that first one, Lee. But but that second one, I thought, was a really impressive play. Um, that that was that was zone coverage. He sat down, um, and he made a he made a really nice athletic play. He went up and got it, evaded a tackler, and dove for the end zone. That's that's something that's really impressive. You know, going against a veteran secondary, guys who have played a lot of college football. This is a guy playing his third college football game, um, and he wasn't there in the spring. He he got there in fall with everyone else, and he's he already he already looks physically ready. Um, athletically, he's he's um, he, he's above pretty much everyone he's he's going against out there, and it's I th- they they just really got to steal with him. Um, he, he he was not he was a crew who was a top one hundred guy, but was not at the same level as a lot of other you know four and five star wide receiver recruits, and he's this. This this guy is a, is a really good college football player, and OU really got a steal there. I'm I'm really excited that that we get to watch him for the next three years. Kind of a fun OU offensive note: five of the seven touchdowns scored against Tulane were scored by first year OU players. Kind of neat. One of those first year players scoring a touchdown was Marquise Brown, and he caught a long bomb from Kyler Murray in the fourth quarter, 87 yards, and Kyler Murray Grant. We all know he's a baseball player. Baseball players have great arms. If anybody, I'm not sure if there's anybody out there that thought, yeah, I'm not sure if Kyle Murray has a good arm. If you're that person, then you need to really think about how sports work and how baseball and football go together. He's got because a hose. If you're a yeah. great baseball player, which Kyle Murray, he was going to get drafted, but he he decided that he wanted to play football instead. He's He has to have a good arm. And so therefore, he's going to have a good arm playing quarterback, and he showed it off. And it was really cool to see Marquise Brown's speed as well. Yeah, I I actually we we started the show off with the theme of you know here at West of Everest we're gonna when we get something wrong we're gonna we're gonna own up to it. Um, at the beginning of the season, I said I didn't think Marquise Brown was gonna be a significant um, a significant player on the offense this year. I, I think that's fa- I mean he, he's 
how, how good Marquise Brown looked last night was really encouraging. Um, and, and it wasn't just, you know, him, him having over a hundred yards and that long touchdown. It was just how, how comfortable he looked out there. And it was a guy who, who Baker Mayfield went to on, on a couple third downs. Um, it was a guy who he, he seemed to be one of the only guys who, who would come back for the ball when, when Baker was scrambling and, and, you know, everything was covered at first. He just looked good. And it's just, his speed just jump, just jumps off the screen at you. Um, he's he's so fast, and and he's a guy that you know they have wrinkles for, and he's a guy that I think is is earning trust, you know, more and more every single play, and and I just I I, I would really just like to to just comment once on on how well this Oklahoma team the last few years has has recruited on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I, I know it's only three games, and they've they've played two kind of patsies, and then the number two team in the country, but. This might be the deepest Oklahoma offense I've ever seen, um, in terms of just the skill positions. And um, but we we know the offensive line is deep, and we know that we know that Kyler Murray is is a really good player behind Baker Mayfield. We we know the the running backs go four deep. This Lee, this offense is 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 freakishly deep, and. I, I, and would you say yeah. that it's better than the 2008 offense like somebody on this podcast said a couple weeks ago I, no I absolutely I still think you're <laughs> insane for thinking that um uh, I'm feeling every single game I feel much better and better about that I but I I do just yeah, how <laughs> how much depth there is on on this offense is scary and now the the pass catchers have been just surprisingly formidable. Um, it, it's, it's crazy to think of it, but we were talking on the season preview episode about Jeff Mead, you know, being in that starting thing. And he still is Jeff Mead is, is arguably the eighth or ninth best receiver on this team. And you have, you even have guys like A.D. Miller, um, who, who is the leading receiver against Ohio state last year. And he's not even suiting up. And this, and this is a team that even you know they lost some transfers because of playing time, and but there, there's there's just a lot of really good players on this offense, and I that's any sort of concern that anybody had coming into the season about the offense, I think has been totally answered. The, the offense is is phenomenal. Back to Marquise Brown real quick. There was a cool moment. Uh, I went I was on the field after the game, and when it was over, everybody was out there shaking hands and whatnot I was kind of I always kind of roam around try to find some cool shots to get you know get some ISO shots of certain players and I I ran into Parnell Motley and Marquise Brown just kind of hanging out chatting talking you can actually go to my Twitter at Lee Benson News 9 and I put it up there with the two touchdowns Parnell Motley's touchdown and Marquise Brown's touchdown and at the very end of it I have this clip of these two guys just chatting it up and like hugging each other and laughing and smiling I'm assuming talking about how awesome it was to score touchdowns in major college football. I mean, I'm sure that's what they were discussing. But there, too, uh, you could tell that there's an offensive guy, defensive guy, and they're real close. And so that was kind of a cool moment that I saw on the field that I just wanted to bring up. Yeah, and yeah. I like. Did you see that? Did you see I, my tweet? I, I didn't, actually, but I'm glad you, oh, I'm glad you bring that up. I wish I wouldn't have asked. I'm glad you bring that up. I wish up I wouldn't because, have asked now. Well, because, well, okay, well, I'm about to actually, you know, actually you right. know throw something good your your way i i just wanted uh because you brought that up i something that i missed last week during the uh, after the ohio state game was and i can't remember exactly who said it but i i believe it was uh it was one of the coaches and he he, he talked he talked a lot about how close this team is um and how they're all friends and um, and i think it goes to your point. I think that's that's a big deal, especially a team that that is now in the thick of the national championship race. Um, it's it's a lot easier to you know to win and, and play games when when you're playing for the guy next to you, and it's it, it just makes it a whole lot easier. So so when you say that, I, I I'm glad you know especially you got you got Motley and you got Brown and you know they don't even play on the same side of the ball and, and they're buddies. So hopefully hopefully that's a sign of things to come. I just wanted to throw that out there that 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 really does go a long way uh, to producing good football teams, especially when they're really when they're really tight knit off the field a couple more random thoughts about this game that don't really have much to do with like offense defense i just wanted to bring up austin Seibert was really good against tulane i i didn't count how many total but i mean it's every single kickoff went through the end zone amazing just touchback after touchback i love that because i hate big special teams plays yeah and if austin Seibert's able to kick the ball through the end zone every single play and the ou kick team doesn't have to make tackles on kickoff i'm all for it so Good on Austin Seibert. Also, 
Baker Mayfield after the game, I just I got to bring this up because I haven't seen a whole lot of it today, but maybe we'll get more of it on Monday when the week begins. But did you see his comment about Joey Galloway? Oh, Baker made it. Did you hear his comment? Baker Mayfield made a comment about Joey Galloway. Yeah. So Joey Galloway went on Twitter this past week and mentioned that Baker Mayfield hasn't made any tough throws or something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing, which is, as we know, we've watched lots of Baker Mayfield. That's stupid. I mean, he made he made early. at least one tough throw against Ohio State. Remember that Michael Jones completion? No, that Michael put it, that, that Michael Jones throw was was spectacular. I mean, that's just one of many. And so, and honestly, I haven't confirmed this, but I heard that on Friday. And this sounds bad, just kind of hearsay stuff. But I a trust a guy I trust told me that Mayfield, I guess, retweeted or acknowledged that tweet by Joey Galloway. So he saw it, and then he was asked about Baker Mayfield was asked about Galloway after the game, and Mayfield said, "Who? I don't know who that is." And that's a quote. <laughs> quote Who? I don't know who that is. Okay. End quote. So honestly, that's. Probably not the best way to handle that, especially considering that he acknowledged the tweet a day earlier. So I, I'm not sure where Baker Mayfield's going with that, but that's what happened. Well, you know, he's he's constantly got a chip on his shoulder, and if he's got to do what he's got to do, that's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm, sure. I, I'm one of those guys who thinks, you know, until it becomes a problem, until <laughs> a, 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 until – until like a douchey persona like that becomes a problem, I don't have a I don't have a problem with it. That that just kind of seems to be his um, his personality. And if if he's got to do what he's got to do to get a chip on his shoulder, that's fine with me. He because because let's let's be honest, Baker just seems like that kind of guy. So it, it just it, that's a big part of what makes him as good as he is. Yeah. Because I mean, he's not you know a t- typical six two mm-hmm. six three six four guy. I mean, he's got to make up for his lack of height with everything else and. He's fantastic, yeah. frankly, and really every every aspect, every attribute. I mean, he's great. I mean, he's again, he's got a good arm. He's very accurate. He's mobile. I mean, he's smart. I mean, the guy can read a defense. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that's just that, that's part of his personality. And he's going to continue to have a chip on his shoulder now, Grant, now that the new AP poll is out. And Oklahoma, despite winning by 42 points, dropped behind Clemson. So now the Sooners are number three instead of number two. So that's kind of interesting. Oh, I don't think that that's that's that I mean, it big of matter, a deal. Because I, Clemson, it could be a reason for Oklahoma to get up. Clemson was very impressive. Um, yeah, they, 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 were, they were, and and they also probably as of as of now they probably have the best resume of any team in the country. They they've beaten two ranked teams. Yeah, um, and and they've and they've been dominant in both of those games. And you know, I I don't have a huge problem with that. Clemson has has been really impressive so far, and so is Oklahoma. There's, I I, I would there is a. As of as of where we are right now in college football, there's there's quite a big gap between the top three teams in the polls uh, and basically everyone else, based off of what we've seen on the field up up to this point. Well, Grant, before we call it a day on this podcast, what are your initial thoughts on Big Twelve play beginning next week and OU going to Baylor to play the Bears at five thirty? What are your first initial thoughts on Big Twelve play? I, really, my first thoughts on it are: I just don't get too confident. I, I know Baylor is is poised to regain their uh, the, their spot at at the bottom of the Big Twelve. You know, they're zero and three. This was your this trap game. game this was this, this was, was my trap, trap game. game for you. This is my trap game. I'm sticking with it. I, I really there's <laughs> okay. I, I there's there's I. I I will concede that there is really there's there's no logic behind this. It just it's one of those games, Lee, and every sports fan knows this. I just don't got a very good feeling about it. And I, it, it's just because I know Baylor still has some players who are capable of playing really good football. Um, they they have two quarterbacks who have been successful at, at, at you know playing major college football before. Um, they they have some they certainly have some some talent at the skill positions, and you know they they watch film. They, they know they know what Tulane has done well. They know what Ohio State's done well, and it hasn't been a you know those teams haven't done a lot well. But you, you you never know it, and when conference play is a different animal. And any time you go on the road in conference play, it's always a good win, no matter how you win. And I just want everyone to to think about that. And it's it, you know, it, it's it's not a failure if OU goes in and doesn't just blow them out because you know Baylor they have some pride. They have a bunch of guys who who weren't there, who never experienced you know any of the Art Brile stuff, and they they want to come out and they want to play football. And you you just never know. It, it, Baylor does have some good football players, and 
this this game just it, it wouldn't make sense if anything if anything bad happened but college football you know largely a lot of the times doesn't make sense and you can never you can never predict stupid things that happen so i i would just pump the brakes on on this game a little bit and have a little bit of trepidation going into it to baylor's credit the bears did not get embarrassed by duke so we not were at all. Both under, we were both kind of thinking that it would be a pretty one-sided affair and the Blue Devils would win going away. My initial thoughts, though, on Big 12 play beginning are just simply, I can't believe OU's already played three games. We're already into week four of the college football season. Always goes fast. It always just flies by because this is the greatest time of the year. This is like, to me, this is Christmas for me. Everyone really is excited for the holidays and Christmas. Well, for me, this is my holidays. When football season begins, September and then early October, but then you start getting to mid to late October, I start to kind of feel a little sad, Grant, because I know it's starting to, it's getting towards yep. the end and we don't have as much, but this time right now, early, mid-September is the best because it started, there's still a lot more to go, and it's even better when Oklahoma's playing as well as the Sooners have played so far this year. Uh, real quick, the biggest game of the Big 12 slate next week, TCU at Oklahoma State. That'll be a, a fun game to watch. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the week. We're going to save our Big 12 thoughts, our national thoughts, when we have more time to kind of look over the film from last week's games and, and, and get our opinions more straightened out. And then again, we'll have our top 10. We'll bring out another top 10. Why not? It was fun last time, and it will be interesting to, interesting to see if the top 10 has changed, I'm sure that LSU will not be in your top 10 next week, Grant. I you can you can bet on that for sure. <laughs> so that'll be the plan for Thursday's show. And by the way, Fridays are the normal time these shows come out, but you may have noticed the past couple of episodes, our preview episodes have come out on Thursdays. That will continue to be the plan moving forward. So this Thursday, we'll take a closer look at OU's matchup with Baylor in Waco. That's our show for the day. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It would be much appreciated. Grant and I will be back on Thursday. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.